Welcome to Today on Broadway for Tuesday, April 10th, 2018. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. And I am Broadway star's James Marino. James, I, I heard about some doors being kicked in at offices in New York. Are you okay? Did you have anything raided yesterday? <laughs> no? Not you? I'm telling you, you know, I posted on Facebook, uh, Last Dance uh, from Donna Summer, and it's not because of <laughs> Summer, the Donna Summer musical. Summer colon the Donna, Donna Summer, Summer musical. musical. Thank you. Yes, yes exactly. <laughs> Happy days are here again. Can we play that? Uh, let's knock on wood. Let's wait a little while. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> All right. Uh, first up in the news, the great Janet McTeer will return to Broadway this fall. Yeah, yesterday in one of two similarly themed 10 a.m. press releases, we'll get to the other one shortly, the Roundabout Theater Company announced that Oscar nominee and Tony and Olivier winner Janet McTeer will return to Broadway this fall in the world premiere of a play that RTC commissioned from bescarved Pulitzer finalist Teresa Rebeck. The show, titled Bernhardt Hamlet, will be directed, that's Bernhardt slash Hamlet, forward slash Hamlet, will be, I feel like I have to say that uh, that punctuation from now on if mm, I'm going to do it with yeah. Summer, the Donna Summer musical. Yeah. So the show titled Bernhardt forward slash Hamlet will be directed by the person with the best name in the business, Morris von Stupenagel, and will open the company's 2018-2019 Broadway season. The show will begin previews at the American Airlines Theater on September 1st and is currently scheduled to run through November 18th. The show will center on the real-life late 19th, early 20th century actress Sarah Bernhardt, uh, not the former Roseanne co-star. Um, and it, she took on the role of Shakespeare's Prince of Denmark in a landmark world tour. Interestingly enough, many listeners will likely remember that in the summer of 2016, McTeer herself played a gender-bending Petruchio in the Shakespeare in the Park production of Taming of the Shrew for the public theater. So interesting that she has that actual real-life experience of taking on a classic male Shakespearean character. Now, James, I think universally all theater fans, or at least U.S. theater fans, are extremely excited to have McTeer back on Broadway. But from what I've seen since this announcement was made yesterday morning, people seem to be a little bit more split on Rebecca's return. Now, personally, I have to say I, I've seen a number of Rebecca shows, and while I haven't loved them all, I, I think there's always something interesting or thought-provoking at the you know the little nougat center of the show. So I always feel like I leave them with something good to chew on. So even though, you know, even if this show isn't the best piece of work on Broadway next season, which honestly has been the case for much of RTC's last two seasons, I think McTeer will be able to take whatever is at the core of this show and elevate it to something worthy of the occasion of her Broadway return. This is what we count on for artistic directors to, uh, you know, read the hundreds of scripts that they get every year and uh, let the cream rise to the top. So I'm always willing to give an artistic director the benefit of the doubt. Teresa Rabeck is uh, a great, a great uh, playwright. So uh, hopefully this will be a better than the past. <laughs> well, I, I also think it's interesting that tonight... Rebecca's former TV star Kat McPhee will be making her Broadway debut in Waitress. So, you know, a little smash synergy going on uh, in the news the last two days uh, for Broadway folk. Hmm. All right, let's move forward into uh, Paper Mill Playhouse's uh, Milburn, New Jersey. Reviews are <laughs> in for Dateline, Milburn, New Jersey. <laughs> Reviews are in for the Stings pre-Broadway tryout. Milburn, hello. Uh, sorry, that was my uh, 
Larry King in person. Yes, James, um, uh, you know that I was on my own for part of yesterday's show because you were at the Paper Mill Playhouse seeing the world premiere of the new musical adaptation of The Sting. And despite the word of mouth that I had heard beforehand, not to spoil things for anybody, you, I think, more or less enjoyed the show. Um, that is that is that a fair summation Absolutely. of your thoughts? Absolutely. I loved it. I had a great time. All right. Well, all right, well, we'll get to your thoughts a little bit more uh, here in just a minute. But before we do that, quickly as a refresher for folks, the new musical is based on the Best Picture winning 1973 film, which starred Paul Newman and Robert Redford. It features a book by the Drowsy Chaperones, Bob Martin, and Urine Towns, Mark Holman, and Greg Cotis, with additional help from some guy named Scott Joplin and the show's star, Harry Connick Jr. This pre-Broadway tryout also features Jay Harrison Gee, late of Kinky Boots, Equity President Kate Schindel, and in the Heights favorite and Schindel's Wonderland co-star Janet DeCall, John Rando directs and Warren Carlyle choreographs. Now, the show officially opened last night, so the reviews are coming in. And I think, James, that the reviews are mixed, um, but not like Mean Girls were mixed yesterday, where some people loved it and some people hated it. I feel like most of the critics thought that there were issues with it. But for the most part, they enjoyed themselves anyway, which I think is something that um, you agree with. And I'm going to ask you your opinion here in a second. So try to come up with something that isn't in any of the reviews that I read. So no pressure. Um, anyway, Alexis Solaski, writing for The New York Times, essentially said that nothing in the show was all that special. But like I said, she enjoyed herself anyway. She wrote, quote, the songs are likable enough. Nothing never revelatory. You can spot the rhymes from the next town over. However, there's Warren Carlyle's blissful choreography, especially the hot foot slip sliding tap numbers of the show's stars. She wrote, quote, Harry Connick Jr. is no Paul Newman. Luckily, he's not trying to be Paul Newman. Less luckily, he's not trying to be anyone except Harry Connick Jr. and maybe sometimes Frank Sinatra. When he plays piano, he doesn't so much tickle the ivories as mash them, like a guy making a sloppy pass. But, oh boy, does it work. And if Mr. Gee doesn't have Mr. Redford's one-of-a-kind sunshine, he is as velvety and pleasing as the felt on a new fedora. Lots of lots of metaphors going on there, Miss Solosky. Um, Joe Dominowitz of the New York Daily News said the ragtime and jazz flavored songs are perfectly pleasant and peppy. But as is, most are placeholders that don't stand out. Both Guy and Connick each need a memorable song. In an odd twist, a diner waitress, Loretta, played by DeCall, gets better songs than the two stars. Finally, Matt Winman from AM New York said, quote, while the film thrives upon building tension with constant twists and turns, the musical directed without coherence by John Rando, choreographed with flair by Warren Carlyle, awkwardly inserts unmotivated tap dance sequences, piano solos for conic, silly gags and tenderhearted moments, creating a stop and start momentum that takes the thrill out of the thriller. Now, James, as I mentioned, and you said you uh, enjoyed the show, even though you realized that it needs some work. Was there anything else that stood out to you as either being really great or especially glaring that these handful of reviews that I picked didn't touch on? Um, no, I think they touched upon the, uh, the big things. Uh, I'm not really a dance guy, but I really enjoyed the choreography and, and Warren Carlyle's work and the cast's work. I, and, and usually I'm not somebody who like is like all that wowed by dance, but this, it was so, there was parts of it that were so big and amazing and parts of it that were so subtle and really cool. I really, I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, uh, caveat here is that I'm a big, big longtime fan of Harry Connick Jr. 
many, many years. Um, and so maybe I like this more than everybody else because I really enjoyed seeing Harry. I also don't see it. I, I see it being very tough to recast. This seems like I, it's built around Harry. It's a Harry vehicle. And uh, I definitely see it as something that could be viable on Broadway and hmm. and can get a bunch of awards uh, when it comes really? in. And I do think that it will come in. I, I really think I, I saw, you know, after watching this show in front of me, I turned around and watched the show in back of me. And, <laughs> uh, and there was a lot of Broadway producers there and a lot of investors that were there. And uh, people are all excited about it. I I see a future in this thing. I think I texted you at intermission. I said, uh, it's yeah. pretty good, definitely has problems, but it can be fixed. Yeah. And that's the way I still feel about it. It'll be interesting to see because not many of the reviews actually said anything good about John Rando's direction. But almost all of them loved Warren Carlyle's choreography, even if they thought some of them were sloppily placed in. Warren Carlyle is not somebody who hasn't done direction in the past. I wonder if maybe some of that will be remedied by maybe moving Rando as celebrated as he is aside and letting Warren Carlyle take the lead in the whole thing. I, you know, I haven't heard anybody say that, but just kind of going through the reviews, Warren Carlyle's directed Broadway musicals before. And uh, it might be something where you give him the chance to kind of have his thumbprint on the entire thing. If it, if it, if, and when it does actually move to Broadway. I wonder how long they really had to rehearse. Uh, yeah, Fair. and I did I tell you it doesn't you seem this? like long. Yeah, did I? I don't know if I told you this that uh, I don't. Uh, you know this, but we'll share it with the listeners. When when we get invited to shows, we get an invitation that says, "Hey, this mm-hmm. is the show. This is what's going on. This is the dates that you can come. Please, you know, let us know if you're interested in coming." You respond to that. And you say, "I'd like to come on this date." And they respond back and they say, okay, you're confirmed. And then the day or two before the performance, you get an email from the press rep that says, that says, just a reminder, you're coming to this show at this performance and here is the script. Did we talk about this? Yes, we did. We did. And then uh, uh, when I got my confirm for, uh, uh, for the sting, it said um, – Here's the, you know, you're, you're coming to the, see the sting on Sunday night and, uh, and we'll have a copy of the script for you at the (laughs) theater. Okay. We got, I got to the theater and they were like, yeah, we don't really have a script. So I sort of feel like they're working on it a lot and maybe John Rando didn't have enough rehearsal. Uh, that's why I said, I really can't put my finger on what needs to be fixed exactly, but certainly I think that if they they've gotten some good audience feedback and if they go back and workshop it a little, I think this is going to be a winner. Yeah. And I I don't want to belabor this, but you're right. It does not seem like they've been rehearsing for that long. And they only have a month of shows out at Milburn and Mm -hmm. this, they've only been running for, I think less than two weeks. I think opening night on on Sunday night was at the end of the second week. So they haven't even had that much in terms of previews. So it does seem like they're shoehorning as much as they can into a very short schedule out in New Jersey. And we talked about uh, Michael Portantier and I uh, rode home together uh, at, after the performance, and we talked about how uh, Harry Connick was kind of a late announcement into mm-hmm. this whole process. Who was doing it before Steve Kazee? Was it, it Steve? Was, yeah, it was Steve Kazee who did all the workshops and everything, and then he opted to go out of town with uh, Pretty Woman instead. So uh, 
yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of variables here. I'd love to see them keep working on it, and I'd love to see it next season on Broadway. All right, Matt, how did Broadway's grosses look last week? Well, last week on Broadway, despite the slight post-Easter and Passover regression, including a handful of shows going back to eight performances following a nine-show week, Broadway saw a nearly $580,000 increase week over week. In all fairness, there was one new show on Broadway last week, but I hardly think that St. Joan's $186,000 over seven performances was the difference for keeping the Great White Way above uh, in the in the week-to-week black last week. As Harry Potter and the Cursed Child played its first eight-show week, it had the largest jump on Broadway last week, moving up nearly $550,000 to come in just under $2,139,000. Summer, Cole and the Donna Summer Musical had the second biggest game, believe it or not, but it moved from four to seven performances, but it still pulled in a healthy eight hundred ninety-three k. In total, 11 shows saw six-figure increases last week. After an embarrassing week below $3 million, those folks over at the Richard Rogers finally got some semblance of pride back as they moved back to their impressive perch, leading all shows on the main stem, finally getting back to above uh, uh, $3 million at $3,142,588. It was followed by four shows above $2 million, The Lion King, Wicked, Frozen, and Harry Potter. Springsteen on Broadway was next, very close to $2 million, but it only played four shows last week. It was followed by Aladdin, Dear Evan Hansen, Phantom, Come From Away, School of Rock, Carousel, Book of Mormon, Mean Girls, which was pretty impressive being above a uh, million dollars during its opening week. Then Kinky Boots, Hello Dolly, Anastasia, and SpongeBob SquarePants all above seven figures. My Fair Lady and Angels in America were just on the doorstep uh, of breaking into the seven-figure club. Two of the biggest pan shows of the season, Rocktopia and Escape to Margaritaville, both grossed more than $800,000, with the beloved little gem once on this island still struggling to stay afloat as the lowest-grossing musical at nearly five hundred and sixty-one dollars Now, James, I know that this number doesn't exactly mean a lot, especially during the spring with discounts and papering and group sales and comps and all of that stuff. But every single show on Broadway last week was above 71% capacity. So that has to be good for the actors to at least look out and see a full or mostly full houses. And all but five shows last week were at or above 66% of their gross potential. If I'm generously rounding up the play that goes wrong. So again, lots of spring breaks, still some summer folks or some spring, uh, some holiday folks hanging out still maybe a little bit, but um, for the most part, a very, very good week on Broadway. All right. Excellent. Uh, Crazy Eyes will lead the world premiere of Tony Stone off Broadway. I, I, I wrote that intro for you, James. Do, do you know what I'm talking about with Crazy Eyes at all? No. Okay. Not much uh, on the Netflix, uh, are you? Okay. All right. Yes. The other release that was embargoed for 10 a.m. yesterday was the announcement that Emmy winner Uzo Aduba, who plays Crazy Eyes on the Netflix comedy drama Orange is the New Black, will lead the world premiere of Lydia R. Diamond's world premiere play Tony Stone off Broadway next spring ish summer. Directed by Tony winner Pam McKinnon, the show she's everywhere 
too. Like she she's is. she's encroaching on Lila Nugabauer and uh, Eva Van Hove's territory. But <laughs> Tony winner Pam McKinnon will direct the show, which will begin performances at the Laura Pell's Theater in May of 2019. And like Bernhardt Hamlet, tells the true story of a pioneering woman. Aduba plays Tony Stone, an encyclopedia of baseball stats, who's got a tremendous arm, but doesn't understand why she can't play with the boys. Adubo plays Tony Stone, the first woman to play professional baseball in the Negro Leagues. Now, James, you, I'm sure, know that this one at least had me at baseball. So that was the last thing we talked about that would have sold me automatically. But with all the successes that Adubo's had in Orange is the New Black and people know her from Godspell and The Wiz Live, I have heard so many stories and so many people talk about how incredible she was in her Broadway debut in in Corumboy or Caramboy um, that this one just seems just about perfect all the way around. So this is one that is definitely on my radar for next spring whenever I'm starting to plan trips. All right. Let's see what we have in the recommendation section. All right. Two things I want to get through here real quick. One is a story, James, that you sent me, um, and this comes from the Washington Post, and it talks about how the upcoming tour stop of Hamilton that is going to be playing in Washington, D.C.'s Kennedy Center has really put a strain on the box office at the Kennedy Center and really angered a lot of uh, theater fans and potential ticket buyers. Um, This is something that I think is being seen across the country, and I can vouch for it here in Orlando. Uh, They decided not to even sell new subscriptions to the Broadway season because the prospect of getting Hamilton tickets the season before had pretty much sold them out. So I think this is something that we'll probably hear more stories about across the country. But check that um, article from The Washington Post out. It's from Peggy McGloin. And then another article is from The New York Times. It is uh, coming from Andrew R. Chow. And there is going to be an exhibit of, of, of I guess, 19th century what you know programs or handbills or playbills um, from New York theater performers performances. They've been restored and digitized thanks to a grant by the National Endowment for the Arts. Um, So you can see all those. We'll have all the information for both of those stories in the show notes at broadwayradio.com. Okay, Matt, was there anything that we missed? Yeah. In other news, there are a few stories that we wanted to mention, but we didn't go in depth with in the main part of the show. For more information on each of these, visit the show notes at broadwayradio.com. But first, playwright and Obi-winning director Robert O'Hara will direct Aziza Barnes's BLKS, or maybe it's pronounced blacks i'm not sure um for mcc beginning in april 2019 do you think it's blacks is that it is what is blacks, that what you think? yeah it is blacks okay I, I wasn't sure um next ars nova has extended the lucky ones through april 28th fresh off of a lortel nomination um and then as part of the bankruptcy filings that we mentioned last week composer stephen schwartz and book writer roger o'herson um have regained the film rights to their musical Pippin from the Weinstein Company. And finally, former Glee co-stars Leah Michelle and Darren Chris are launching a nine-city tour beginning at Nashville's Ryman Auditorium on May 30th. Tickets begin pre-sale tomorrow. All right. Why don't you get us out of here? All right. Thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BWWMATT. And subscribe to Something Like a Pop on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. I promise I'll edit this episode that's supposed to come out sometime soon. <laughs> and my name is James Marino from BroadwayRadio.com and BroadwayStars.com. Thanks for spending some of your Tuesday with us. Am I back tomorrow? I yes, tomorrow? you are back tomorrow. No, you're back tomorrow out on Thursday. And I will see you tomorrow. But I won't be here on Thursday. We'll talk to you then. 